Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever-expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover the CBS all-access series, The Stand. Episode 6, The Vigil. Let's start the show! We finally get to meet Trash Can Man, and Flag has a special mission for him. Another one of Boulder's spies is killed. Flag isn't happy about it, but the aftermath of it may have led him to the third spy. Tom, realizing he is in danger, plans his escape from Vegas. Meanwhile, in Boulder, Mother Abigail roams the woods outside the city while residents alternately search for her and hold a vigil for her. After a confrontation with Franny, Harold's plan comes to fruition. So, Jay, I've got some sad news. What's that? Twitter user 680001 tweeted today and said, Sorry, guys, I'm done with this show. I don't care about King's new ending because it's an ending to a completely different story than the one I fell in love with 25 years ago. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. I gotta say, I really like just saying Twitter user 680001, because I, I feel like I'm doing a Bender impersonation. <laughs> the good news, though, is I, I had a conversation with Twitter user 680001, and they will continue to be listening to our podcast. So they've given up on the show, but not our show, which is really the most important thing, Jay. It is. Yeah. I was just thinking about it as I was saying the words that each time we introduce our coverage of one of the episodes of The Stand, we say it's the CBS All Access series. It's almost as if we are making sure that it's crystal clear to everybody that this is their fault, (laughs) not ours. Not ours. (laughs) And not Stephen King's. As many of our listeners uh, have pointed out to us and as we have discussed, this show is not what we had hoped for and is not necessarily as good as we wanted it to be. No. I will say that in this episode, Jay, there were a few things that cleared the low bar that has been set and that I actually thought were pretty good in this episode. I agree. There were there were a nice handful of good things in this episode. One of those is definitely Tom Cullen. Tom Cullen has been pure gold. Every time he's been on screen, every episode he's been on screen, and this episode is no exception. All the stuff that we see Tom do, the very close call that he has with Flag, it's all awesome. He had two moments of sheer genius. Mm -hmm. The first one is when he figures out a way to get somebody to tell him what the note says without showing anybody the note. And for somebody who can't read, his solution was magnificent. So good on you there, there, Tom. That was that was pure genius. And then the second thing was how he plotted his escape by hiding under the the corpses. Yeah, no, he he needs to drop the keys off in the car. Uh, he does that and realizes I can't drive this car, but this car is going to leave. I can be in the car and leave with them. I will hide myself in the dead bodies. 
and not be found. Yeah. It is it is good. And what I really like about this is I think it gives the Tom character a little bit more agency than he has in the book. Oh yeah. In the book he's hypnotized and he is basically told by Nick and Stu what to do. Follow the moon, do this, do that, and here he's the one who's figuring things out on the fly, which is I think it's a better solution for the character. Yeah, Brad William Henke's portrayal of Tom is, I think, where all the magic happens. He is just killing it as Tom. He has made Tom even more likable than the character in the book, and just as vulnerable, but not cross that very thin line of offensive. When an actor has to portray somebody with some kind of disability, that's a really hard balancing act. Yep. And he has done this with an amazing amount of grace. So great stuff all around. Tom's fantastic and Hinky's portrayal of Tom is, is just awesome. Yeah. Along the same line, staying in Vegas, I do also like how Flag finds out about Tom. So obviously one of the main thrusts of this episode is that Flag is determined to find out who the third spy is. Hmm. Um, he doesn't get that information from the judge, but he knows that it's something related to Moon. And Lloyd knows he's supposed to be figuring out who this Moon guy is, but he's not smart enough to figure it out. And then Flag overhears somebody asking for that janitor, that Mr. Moon guy, to come up and clean things up. And Flag making that connection, I thought was a nice piece, rather than yeah, yeah, rather than doing that. It it made it a lot more tense i thought because i honestly wondered if flag was going to confront tom in this episode in some way or if somebody else was going to find him because he was not far away you know he slips out in the middle of the night in the book mm -hmm. and is well outside the city and then flag gets distracted and here there was genuine concern on my part that tom was going to get found out yeah i really like the idea of a flag having that moment of pure insight as to making the connection between Tom's catchphrase and the thing that only Flag is connected to regarding Tom is an image of the moon. Yep. That's what that's what has blocked Flag from figuring out who Tom was. And so you have to be Flag making that connection. It has to be Flag figuring it out. It can't be anybody else. Even if Lloyd were presented as a much more like astute version of himself in the right. show which he's not a much smarter lloyd can't make that because he doesn't have that magical power that flag has to try to suss out the the spies so it has to be flag that does it and they made a they, they really brought those pieces together in a great way yep agreed i really liked the entire scene where franny breaks into harold's house and then confronts harold Everything about that was great. The performances, the directing, the visuals, so much great stuff. I thought both actors were superb in that. I really liked Franny's reaction when she sees all the computer monitors and views all, what all the spy cams are showing her and she puts all the pieces together. And I really liked how Franny confronted Harold and basically told him, Harold, you've got it all wrong. This is the way that things really are. We don't all hate you. We we do actually care about you. And it seemed like she even like kind of talked him off the the ledge, which is 
I, I thought was pretty Im impressive considering how committed Harold was at this yep. point. And then they're like the visuals, uh, they were all great and lots of interesting angles. And probably the best one was that split where Franny is behind the locked door, which is between Franny and Harold for a moment. And we see that one angle, it's at a, a like the, the camera is raked to one side and we're looking as though we are standing inside the wall yeah. and we see there's, you know, they are visually still together, but separated by a locked door. So we get all that symbolism yep. in that moment. It's great. Yeah. I thought the directing stood out for me in this episode. There's a lot of interesting angles. Some of those Dutch angles that you're talking about when it's skewed to, to get a, that interesting perspective. There's a couple times when there's these like low angles looking up from, a, from the mm -hmm. door when Franny was looking at the, at the typewritten pages. So I think the the director had a pretty good hand in giving some visual interest to this episode, which not all of them have had so far. So I, I did want to call that out. I, I think that that's a good part. And that, that scene was great. And I think what maybe our listeners have noticed and that the three that we just called out, these are all things that are a little bit different than what's in the book. And they have made changes from the book that haven't always worked specifically in the, the actual chronology of how the story is being told, but mm -hmm. these changes are actual improvement, I think, over the book. I agree. And it's kind of disappointing that where the show has been the most slavish to the book content has been where it's been the weakest, where they've taken some liberties with keeping the, the spirit of a scene or the spirit of a character but changing it so that it works better for a visual medium or for the, the sake of the structure of a TV episode, it's more successful. So after seeing evidence of where the show has succeeded and where the show has failed, I kind of wish that they had done a lot more of this, that yeah. they had taken a great many more liberties with character and structure and or, or just reinventing. Right the characters, reinventing the scenes, even reinventing parts of the plot. But that's a good transition into our next section, which I called wasted talent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all, it's not all good this episode. In fact, it's mostly not good in this episode. And that wasted talent you're talking about is apparent. The first one that I noticed, Jay, was the judge, which I think is important to you, but like, I honestly thought I missed the scene because we see the judge at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They made a point in the previously on the stand to show all these scenes with the judge. So I'm like, yep, all the judge stuff is coming. Yep. And we see the judge, we hear crows, we see this gun that she has. And then the next time we see her, she's in a body bag with a bullet wound. And I'm like, okay, there must be a time when we're going to flash back to see what exactly happened to the judge. And that never happened. And I'm like, did I walk away from the TV and miss a scene? Did I look down when I was taking notes and miss something? And it just wasn't there. I don't know if they didn't film it or if they filmed it and didn't cut it. But I know it's important to you, right, Jade? That's your favorite part of the book. Yeah, yeah. That moment when the judge in the book almost shoots flag when he is in the form of a crow on the windowsill is great. I loved it because it's a it's a huge example of Flag's hubris. It's a huge example of Flag's miscalculation on how superior he is and how weak his, his enemies are. 
And it also this wonderful real moment where the judge puts all the pieces together in that moment of intuition and realizes he can stop this this evil in its tracks just by pulling the trigger one time. Yep. And then makes a mistake. It's a human moment. And he doesn't shoot the gun and Flag gets away. And Flag learns a valuable lesson in that. And then, of course, when the judge in the book is killed by the version of Bobby Terry or, or, or whoever it is, that's when we see Flag appear and transform from crow to, to man and then, you know, rip his minion to, to bits. And it's one of the scariest moments of Flag in the book. And we got that in the show with the elevator scene. Yep. But it would have been cool to see that. Maybe it just wasn't like a Jamie Sheridan with a mullet and (laughs) black feathers stuck in his, in his hair uh, that I was, I was looking for that because there's that, there's also that great illustration in the book. Yep. So I was hoping that the, the show would stay a little bit close to that, but Right now, I'm just saying why I love that scene in the book, and because it's missing from the show, I was disappointed. But I'm okay with that. The show has that freedom to still be more concise and simplify things. But it just feels like they simplified the judge down to nothing. Oh, truly. I mean, the judge had three scenes, maybe. The judge's part in the book is not only the the failed attempt at getting into Vegas and spying, but to really bring to life Larry's character because they have a couple different scenes where the judge and the judge is a man in the book where he gives advice to Larry mm-hmm. and helps Larry grow. And we we've often talked about this path that Larry's on throughout the, the story and how the judge has helped him along there. And this judge just doesn't do that at all. And so it feels like a character who dies for no reason in the show. And who doesn't really seem to have an important part in the, in Larry's life in Boulder and. And in the narrative as a whole. Yeah, right. There's just, there isn't any content for the judge as a character. So really, it seems like the judge's death was just so that we could have this scene with Randall Flagg and Bobby Terry Mm. in the penthouse, where first we see Bobby Terry come into the hotel you know, guided by Lloyd into the elevator, you know, through the hotel, into the elevator, up to the penthouse suite where he's going to be confronted by Flag. And we spend about five to seven minutes in that scene and we get a good actor, Clifton Collins, who Mm -hmm. you've probably seen in in a bunch of other things. And he's a good actor. And as soon as he came on screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, who's this character? He's somebody I recognize. So he's going to be important. It's like in Wayne's World when they brought in Charlton Heston for a a better you know, cameo, right? It was it was just like that. It was just Dan- like it that. It was identical to Wayne's World. In fact, that was the first thing I thought of when watching this episode is the stand is, wow, this is so much like Wayne's World. I can't get over it. I will say it's a cool scene, right? We get to see somebody stand up to flag, but then is get, get his comeuppance. But Jay, for me, I would have rather that five to seven minutes spent with Bobby Terry have been spent on the judge or on Larry's story or on Stu or on Nick or on any of a bunch of other characters rather than in this one character that was introduced in this episode and killed in this episode. I 100% agree. I think that the show needed and it was an entertaining moment 
for Flag to kill Bobby Terry in the elevator, but I guess Flag could have had a reason to kill anybody else who was already in Vegas, who maybe we had met once before, and just get angry at a different minion. And there you go. Yeah, or have this minion have been in other episodes throughout, you know? Mm -hmm. It's sort of boggling to me that they have nine hours of TV time to work with. And in reality, I mean, it's an actual nine hours, too. It's not like it's nine hours of network TV where you only have 40 minutes per hour because of commercials. They've got 50 minutes, 55, an hour, an hour and five. They're not limited by time here. And to spend all this time on this one character when there are so many other characters that are left undeveloped, which will get us to our next one, which is the Trash Can Man. So we are now six episodes in. We meet the Trash Can Man for the first time in a cold open before the the opening tag. Mm -hmm. And we get to see him blow up some oil tanks and then get his entire backstory told in a montage in about 30 seconds, which if you've never read the book, I can't imagine what you were thinking when you were watching that. What I was thinking was Ezra Miller's performance choices make this character just shit. I could not understand one word that Trash Can Man said between the screeches and the weird herky-jerky body movements and the whispers, even with the the closed captions on, which I always watch this with closed captions, I was still mystified. Like the closed captions said dialogue, but is Trash Can Man speaking right now? All I hear is squeaks and, and, and screeches. It was strange how they presented him as some sort of savant in terms of he just knows everything about fire and right. Flag has to talk to him in this way like, hey, what's the biggest fire ever? And I mean, I mean, the fi a fire that people created. And then the answer to that is some, you know, Russian nuclear experiment and yep. it's the biggest fire ever. And what? Why? Why does why does Trash Can Man know about that? Did, did he get a degree in fire stories at some point during <laughs> his tragic life? The I, of fire. I, what he is is a savant when it comes to how things work so he can make a mechanism to blow things up. That's his talent. Where that's the thing that he's better than anybody else at. Right. That conversation didn't highlight that. It kind of steered it away from there. Uh, I, I don't think Tra Trash Can Man is full of book knowledge. I think he's full of intuitive grasp of how of of mechanics mm -hmm. and how how things work. Anyway, it it was just strange. I I just did not like what Ezra Miller did with this. The, the costume design was really strange and and disturbing. Yeah, Mad Max. Yeah. It didn't seem to fit. It didn't seem to fit. No, for something, you know, the, the plague happened, what, four or five months ago, six months ago? And for him to have devolved into a road warrior type costume just seemed far-fetched. The build-up to this character, the fact that the producers kept Ezra Miller's role in this under wraps for a long time mm. before it was finally announced... And then to only have this character, you know, not be introduced till now. And without getting into too much spoilers, the fact that Flag tells Trash Can Man to go find this nuclear bomb is not what I was expecting either. But it just seemed odd, like, that they find him. And the whole thing was, like, the Trash Can Man was able to sniff out these weapons, and he keeps finding weapons and bringing them back. And 
to get a mission from Flag seemed odd to me, especially for this mission. Yeah. I if they're making this change, I I kind of have to wonder if the the process of adapting this like like the like the the writers just missed something. Yeah. Flag is not after a nuclear weapon. He wants to destroy Boulder and he can do that with conventional weapons. Yep. And that's what Trashcan Man brings him. Right. And brings him more than he needs. It's the nuclear weapon that Trashcan Man brings that is not anything Flag asked for, at least in the book. Right. Yeah. And we could just go through this part quickly, Jay, but like these other characters. So I think it's pretty clear that Nick's going to be dead at the end of this episode. Nick is dead at the end of this episode. He is. I mean, but we haven't really seen that character do anything and have the impact that he has in the book where the whole committee is just sort of, he's the soul of the committee and everyone respects him. And, and, and he just hasn't done much since they've gotten to Boulder. Yeah. We still haven't gotten a lot with Stu and Larry. We got hints of a little bit with Larry in this episode, but not enough. As long as we're talking about characters that have not been well-developed, Lloyd is another one. We get a little bit of hints that, oh, he's actually supposed to be doing stuff for Flag in this. He does have actual duties that he's supposed to do. But again, it's sort of thrown in at the last minute here. And it's just a waste of these characters and this time when you've got all of this tapestry to work with, this giant canvas of the stand. And yeah. we're focused and painting things that aren't the most interesting parts of the story, in my opinion. I agree. Sean, why don't we get into some Dark Tower thinnies? I was able to find a couple this time. Jay, why don't we go with yours? Because mine is so weak tea that um, it is basically just water. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yours are a little bit stronger. So why don't we go with yours? Is the water at least hot? It's tepid at best. Tepid? Yeah. All right. Going back to the judge for a sec, in one of her brief scenes, we see the judge pull out this giant revolver when she's sitting alone in, I guess, a hotel room or something. Right. And I just figured that that is like, that's basically one of Roland's guns or one very much like it. So I'll call that a thinny. I thought that instead of this being Roland's gun, this is more like anti-Chekhov's gun because we see this gun, but it never goes off. <laughs> First rule of screenwriting, right? If you show a gun, it has to go off. And here we we see the gun and we are told that, oh yeah, she tried to shoot somebody off screen. Mm. It's disappointing. When Flag is confronting Bobby Terry, he refers to the judge as a bag of bones. Mm. Which technically is a thinny connecting to King's novel by the title, Bag of Bones. But that in and of itself is... Uh, has some dark tower thinnies so well yeah because stephen king is a character in the dark tower so he wrote a book and so therefore it's a dark tower thinny i wasn't going to go by that transitive property <laughs> there are some dark tower direct dark tower thinnies in bag of bones so by the transitive property there ah okay i've got the thinny but i think the most direct dark tower thinny is when flag and mother abigail have their woods confrontation mm. Flag says, my name is Legion. We are many. That is almost word for word what, I guess, the man in black says to Roland in The Gunslinger. And Andre Linoge is an anagram for Legion, 
and in Storm of the Century, I can go on. I, I have gone on and on about this, but basically <laughs> Legion is flag is the minion of the Crimson King. Tihi ha ha tihi. So so there you go. There's direct connection to the Dark Tower. Well, there you go. So mine, my, mine is pretty weak. So Bobby Terry, as he's running away from flag, you can see that he's wearing a biker vest and it says Lords of Discord on the back, which I assume is the name of his biker gang. And I believe that the Crimson King was trying to bring about Discordia in the Dark Tower. And so Discord, Discordia. Mm. I'll allow it. It might also be a My Little Pony thinny because Discord is a bad guy in My Little Pony. So. Well, maybe Bobby Terry was supposed to be this super, you know, hardcore motorcycle type guy, but this was actually a fan club of the role-playing game. Oh, that could be as well. Yeah. My other thinny is I mentioned earlier about the cool sort of low camera angle that we get a couple times in this episode. And the one that I really noticed was when Franny finds Harold's manuscript. And this gave me big time shining feels because between a typewritten manuscript with a bunch of crazy writing right out of the stand or out of the shining there, we also get Franny like is looking at it and holds her hand over her mouth as she's reading it. Mm. And I really felt uh, Shelley Duvall vibes there. Like I almost wondered if that was a callback directly to the shining because she, she looked like Wendy in that moment when Wendy sees the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I thought you were going to say, I almost wondered if Shelley Duvall is Robert Duvall's daughter. I think, I think they may be related, Jay. <laughs> it turns out they are not related. <laughs> I just learned that 20 minutes ago. I was this old when I found out that Shelley Duvall is not related to Robert Duvall. It's an important lesson every young man must learn. <laughs> Okay, were there any yucking it up moments in this episode, Jay? I got grossed out by a couple things, so yes. I'll just, like, say Trash Can Man's whole look was just constant yucking it up moment for me. With the, uh, probably the most offensive part, his horribly dirty tidy whities Because <laughs> they were not white anymore. No. Yeah, and sticking with Trash Can Man, his vision, or the vision that we share with him when he touches Flag's hand in the dream, everything in that is just pretty yucky. There are maggots and rot and people's bodies being burned to ash and all sorts of just, like, I don't know, bugs? Yeah. Like, like emerging from chrysalis and and just it's it's weird it's almost like one of those sped up scenes from national geographic where you know you you see a a dead animal decompose and yeah so it was like all of that stuff there was probably some stock footage in there of of you know like the cycle of life it was more like the tunnel scene in uh willy wonka hmm yeah that was more trippy than yeah, but at though. one point they do show like flies crawling on people. Like there is some gross parts. So yeah, and when you're seven years old, when you see that, it freaks you out a lot. Mm. I am going to go with my yucking it up. Is after Flag disposes of Bobby Terry in the elevator, he walks out, and 
you can hear it subtly, but I, again, I watch with the caption on as well, but you can hear flag walking out and it says blood squishing. And you can hear it as he's walking in his boots, squish, squish as the blood. And, and he's holding Bobby Terry's heart in his right hand too. Yes. I thought the trash can man was going to be my yucking it up. But when that scene happened, I'm like, oh yeah, I got a, I got a winner in the clubhouse here. For sure. All right. Well, this is the time of the show where we like to thank our patrons for supporting the show. They get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. Our January episode will be going up very soon for our patrons. So if you would like to learn more and hear that episode, visit patreon.com slash two guys dark tower. Sean, we got to thank our newest patron, Steve K, who joined just a couple of days ago at the apprentice level. So thank you, Steve. Yeah, Steve, thanks for joining and being part of the team and helping to support the show. I know we ragged on this episode a little bit at the beginning, but it's time for some fun stuff. All right. Fun stuff is the best. You want to kick us off? Jay, both you and I noticed this, but when Nadine takes Joe back to the school, she has a small crisis of conscience, right? She doesn't want the children to be killed in the bomb blast at the vigil. Mm -hmm. And so she ensures that they're all back at the school watching TV. Unfortunately, what she puts on the TV is Time Bandits. Yeah. Which now that I'm talking about it, which is cool, right? Like I watched Time Bandits a ton when I was a kid. And the the way it's shot, you can see Time Bandits in the background and there's an explosion happening and the bad guys talking about being evil and Nadine's in the foreground. So in addition to being it being really cool the Time Bandits it's playing, it's also pretty cool the way the director has set that up to actually foreshadow what's going to happen shortly. And also indicate yeah, you know, that Nadine is evil or is yeah. becoming evil. Right. I'm also thinking right now that she must have taken a DVD or video cassette and put it on the in the TV for them to watch that, which seems a little bit odd to me now that I think about it, because they don't have like an uh, actual television station or cable running. No. It's the end of the world. So she she thought, hey, this would be the best thing for a bunch of kids to watch instead <laughs> of going to a vigil for Mother <laughs> Abigail. Let me throw in Time Bandits, a movie that's 40 years old for these seven-year-olds to watch. Yeah, it all comes together at the end with Sean Connery. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Greetings, Highlander. Here we go again. One of the things I wanted to call out and fun stuff is that apparently Bobby Terry has a lot of blood. Oh, wow. That's a lot of blood. It is like pouring down the glass walls of the elevator as as if the props department had set up some sort of circulation tubing or something to make that happen. Right. <laughs> but there's a lot of blood. Yeah, and there's so much blood on the elevator, and yet there's still enough that when Flag walks, it's squishing in his boots. Well, considering how much blood there was, he probably had blood in his boots. Yes. You yes. know, like if you, step, so, yeah. you, if, if you step in a river of blood, some blood's probably going to you know get inside the boots, and then it's squish, squish, because you got, you know, soggy socks. Yeah, unless you're wearing like really tight galoshes. Which I don't think the flag is wearing. <laughs> yes. The aforementioned Bobby Terry is another Westworld alum. Uh, that's what I noticed uh, him from right away. I'm like, this guy looks familiar. This guy looks familiar. I'm like, oh yeah, he hangs out with our good friend Stu Redman on a island with a bunch of hosts and killing humans. So indeed, 
my last fun stuff is that I think I realized that uh, in this episode that my favorite character on the show is Flag's smiley button. <laughs> he does show a lot of range. Yeah, it's it's one of the better actors on the show. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, we I think we've said it before. The actors are doing a pretty good job. Yes, I think it's what they're I, working with. I'm I'm being I'm being sarcastic when I say that, but th- that button has a lot of range, as you say. It it sometimes it's happy, sometimes it's winking, sometimes it's angry, and sometimes it's just evil. And that's where it was today in this episode. It was uh, full on evil. It was Flag's expression for Flag in a way. Yeah. I mean, Skarsgård's an awesome actor, and some of the stuff he's doing in this is is great, but when he was chasing down, or I guess maybe just following Bobby Terry through the hotel, <laughs> right? it was a little bit low energy. I wasn't feeling it. I didn't feel the menace. I didn't really feel the dread. Even, even just watching the whole, like, Bobby Terry trying to get the elevator to open sooner and, and go faster and, and right. all that stuff, it's just like, eh, I... There's no suspense here. And Skarsgård was just like, yeah, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Ho-hum. But that button, that button was acting its ass off in that moment. That's one of those directorial choices where the director tells the director of photography, just point the camera at the button. <laughs> we'll take care of it in post. Yes. Or man, we did not get any good shots of Skarsgård in this scene. Like, fix it with the button. Fix it with the button. So, Jay, where did this episode of The Stand land on our scale of Jamie Sheridan's? Mm, I'd say there were there were enough good moments and good scenes that I'll give it three Jamie Sheridan's. Very good. I know you don't approve of this, but I'm giving it two and a half Jamie Sheridan's. You can't split a Jamie Sheridan. Then there it is two Jamie Sheridan's. Oh, uh, damn it. I, I will always round down. I will always round down, Jay. I'm just saying, if if you cut Jamie Sheridan in half, two new Jamie Sheridans do not grow from those pieces. Are we sure about that? I am not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not test it. Jamie Sheridan is a treasure. We yeah. must protect him at all costs. That's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover The Stand. (laughs) Episode 7, The Walk. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. All right, well, that's going to be it for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. <laughs> Why can't you just read what it says, man? <laughs> Robert Duvall's daughter, Shelley Duvall. <laughs> so that's what's called a callback.